episode 96, Liver and Kidney Transplant Surgeon. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today, your Dr. Praise Matimavi's perspective. Join 2017 and 2018 Podcast Awards nominated host as we get a behind the curtain look at all types of doctors and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Today's show is inspiring. I don't want to spoil too much, but she's from Zimbabwe and her family moved to America when she was 14 so that she could pursue her goal to be a doctor. Now, she ended up changing to liver and kidney transplant surgeon along the way, but that's okay. So today we're going to talk a little bit about her backstory, which is pretty unique because it goes more than just what I just said. She has a plan to go back to Zimbabwe one day to be able to do kidney and liver transplants because it's not really set up yet. So we'll talk about that. What kind of conditions can set you up to need a transplant? How do you deal when you lose a patient? Dr. Praise and I have a really good conversation. It flows back and forth. There's some laughter in there. There's some seriousness in there. I really think that you're going to be inspired by this, especially if you are a woman, a minority. You're going to say, wow, if she can do it, I can do it. So let's not wait any longer. A doctor's perspective.net slash nine six. Let's go. Hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China and Nebraska, today's guest begins her journey from Zimbabwe, makes it to Michigan State Osteopathic School, then does New York Presbyterian in Queens, and is now finishing up her fellowship at the University of Nebraska Medical School. Today's guest is a transplant surgeon, (gasps) Dr. Praise Matimavi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Woo! We just had a pre-chat, y'all. I don't want to hear anybody complain. This lady is working 120 hours a week. I don't even know there's that many hours in the week to work because you have to sleep and she has a family and everything. So blows my mind. Uh, like you said, it's your last year. So, I mean, congratulations. Thank you. You make it sound horrible. It's not that bad. Well, <laughs> you can see where my priorities are. <laughs> well, when I first saw you on Instagram, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. We have a doctor. Uh, she's a woman and she's black. And I like to highlight some of these things. And then I started looking into your, you know, Google you and everything. Yeah, that's right. You can stalk somebody <laughs> real easy on Google. And I came across this article. It was a really long article, y'all, but really good. Uh, we don't have to go through the everything, but you got a very unique, interesting backstory. Take a couple minutes. Give us the highlights, if you will. I want people to kind of see where you're from and where you're at now. If you don't mind, take it yeah, away. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born and raised in Zimbabwe, and we moved when I was 14 years old to the States, to Michigan. Um, my parents knew I wanted to be a doctor since I was a very young girl. I wanted to be a surgeon, specifically wanted to be a surgeon. And um, at, at that time in my country, there was only one medical school, and so my chances of of pursuing my dream and becoming better off, you know, if we came to the States or the UK. So my parents actually sacrificed their life, basically, for me to follow my dream. So we came to the States when I was 14. Um, I finished my high school in the States, and I got pregnant when I was 18. So at that time, I was already in college doing pre-med, and pre-med was not paying the bills. So I had to find a plan B because I had a baby 
and I needed a job and I was not a citizen or a permanent resident. So everything I was paying out of pocket. So I went to nursing school because it was affordable and I could do it at a community college and my parents could help me with mm -hmm. childcare. So I went to nursing school and I did my nursing degree and I worked as a critical care nurse at Memorial Hospital in South Bend for three years. And um, I did cardiac critical care there. And then after that, you know, I had this timeline. I had decided when I was probably 19 or so, I had one child at the time. I had a timeline and I decided by the time I was 29, I should have accomplished my dream of becoming a doctor. Because, you know, when you become pregnant out of wedlock and you're a pastor's daughter, and it's it's just not a very oh, double oh, whammy. Yes. <laughs> not a very good situation. Pastor child, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it was one of those things where I know my parents for one thought my dream of becoming a doctor would never be realized because now I was going to be a single mom and I was going to, you know, have all these other responsibilities with being a parent. And mm -hmm. um, I made the decision to get married to the father of my child, which was that's another story. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, we got married. We had two children. It was a very abusive marriage. So I ended up, you know, getting divorced from him and he ended up leaving the country. But um, my dream was still there of becoming a doctor. So I had the advantage of working as a nurse and I was interacting with physicians and things like that. And, you know, when they would ask me, so what, what are your plans and things like that? I would always tell them, well, I've always wanted to be a doctor and I'm still on that path. And, you know, I got a lot of encouragement to continue on. So I went to, at this time I was still, you know, um, not a citizen or a permanent resident. So I had no access to financial aid, but I was making very good money as a nurse. And I went to Siena Heights University, which was affiliated with my college where I went for nursing school. And they had this degree of applied science, which if you were maybe a radiology technician or a respiratory therapist or a uh, registered nurse and you wanted to do a bachelor's degree, you could. So I went there and I talked to them about doing um, a bachelor's in applied science. But I had a timeline, as I said before, and I had already taken, you know, the previous year when I decided I was going to go back to school, I had already taken my prereqs that I needed for medical school, and I did them all in one year. So organic chemistry, general chemistry, uh, biology, and physics, I did them all with their labs and everything in one year, which was two semesters. Wasn't that like 60 hours It was or something? crazy hours. <laughs> I don't know how you... And you worked and, and had I worked kids. full time and I had two kids at the time. I mean, but my family was there to help me. They helped me so much. They would, I was about to ask, were you living at home at least? No, but I would drop off my kids at daycare and my parents would help me pick them up or things like that. I'll drop them off in the morning. I'll be at school all day. And then my hospital had this program, which was a weekend alternative program, where as a nurse, you could work every weekend and be paid pretty good money for it and have to work like one shift every two weeks during the week. So it worked out perfectly because I could go to school during the week. I was making more money than the nurses who didn't work weekends and worked, you know, throughout the week. And it was perfect. And You're like, I don't have a life anyway. Exactly. So. <laughs> I didn't have a life anyway. And it was 12 hour shifts. So I would be committed to working an eight hour shift every other Friday. 
and two 12-hour shifts on Saturday and Sunday, every Saturday and Sunday. I didn't have a social life, so I didn't need to go anywhere over on the weekends. So this was perfect for me. Real mm-hmm. quick, in, in your culture, is it common for the parents to sort of be super engaged in kind of raising the children? Yeah, I think so. I think it's one of those things where the parents do become very involved and they're, they're very hands-on. Because in China, it's like you have a kid and then I give them to grandma and then I go work or I live in a completely different province mm-hmm. and the kids are raised by the mom completely in the, the bed. So I was curious if it's kind of similar uh, in that in, in the Zimbabwe kind yeah, of culture. We are very family oriented and we are very, our parents help a lot. I have friends whose parents left their lives and moved to wherever they were to help them with their kids. So yeah, it's one of those things that I'm okay. really grateful for. Had your relationship, was it strained? I'm just curious. I'm pregnant and we moved here and now I'm a nurse and not a doctor or was there always that, that hope? For my parents, they they really didn't care what I did with my life as long as I was happy and fulfilled. And they knew that I wanted to be a doctor. You know, like I said, from a very young age, my dad actually got me the book Gifted Hands by Ben Carson when I was in fifth grade. Wow. And I read that book in one night. And At that time, I wanted to be a cardiothoracic surgeon and not a neurosurgeon. So, you know, there was a team from Loma Linda that had come and done uh, congenital heart surgeries in Zimbabwe at Parenyatwa Hospital at that time. So I had found out about it. And so I thought, oh, heart surgery. Oh, my gosh, this is so cool. This is what I'm going to do with my life. So that's what I had decided I was going to do when I was 10 years old. And so, you know, my dad understood that passion and he understood that that's what I, you know, There was nothing else that would make me happy unless I followed my dream. But my mom was more like, well, you know, you're you're already a nurse. You make pretty good money. You're pretty comfortable. I mean, why do you have to go through the whole thing of going through all these crazy classes and the MCAT and going through medical school and things like that? You could just be happy, you know. So it was more, more, you know, my dad was like, yeah, whatever you decide, go on. My mom was like. Well, you know, it's kind of hard for you. We see how hard it is for you raising these two kids alone and going through all this alone. You know, why don't you think about it? I mean, nursing is pretty good. You have a lot of other avenues. You could be a nurse practitioner. You could be a nurse anesthetist. So many others. You're kind of a doctor at that point. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, you know, initially when I told them I was pregnant, it it was very difficult for them. And I think just because it's not something they expected from me because I was a straight A student and I was very focused on my studies and it's just not something they expected from me. Probably from my sister, but not from me. (laughs) 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 It's going to kill me that I say that. (laughs) We we, we know what you mean. (laughs) So that was that. And so, you know, after I did all those classes, I took the Kaplan course to help me study for the MCAT. And because I was still taking the classes when I, when it was time for me to take the MCAT, I was the last class to take the MCAT, you know, by pep, by paper, filling out those bubbles. (laughs) And so I remember, I think it was in April or May when we took the MCAT and it was, so when, when I got the results back, I did very well, better than I actually expected. And so I applied to medical schools and, you know, I was getting interviews for medical school, but I needed a bachelor's degree. So that's how I ended up going to Siena Heights University and talking to them about getting a bachelor's degree in a year. Because oh, so you had to have it. 
I had to have it in a year so that I could start medical school the next year. Oh man! And which meant taking 60 credits in that year in to be able to get the requirements I needed to graduate with a bachelor's degree. So the lady was, you know, initially was not convinced that it could be done. And I asked to talk to her director who, you know, she was like, well, we can try it. I'm sure she was thinking, mm, I mean, we can try. There's no harm in trying. Your, your GPA is going to go to the crapper. So good luck out there. Right. And so they were very, so good about helping me figure out how to manage the classes. Because when you're taking 30 credits, there's no way you can physically be in class for all those 30 credits. So Okay, that's good. So for some of the classes, I ended up having to take them online. I remember I had one class that was on the weekend and the other classes I attended. So it ended up working out where, you know, I was able to take those 30 credits and I still came out with a 4.0 GPA. So, Whoa, wee. <laughs> so it was, it was difficult, but you know, it, I was focused. I knew what I wanted to do. My eye was set on the, you know, on the prize. And that was that. That's perfect. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, organic chemistry, that was probably my worst scores I've ever had in my life. I don't know. I guess I just didn't study hard enough for it. And you got 4-0. Actually, you know, the 4-0 was for the um, for the bachelor's degree that I did that with 30 credits each. The organic chemistry I had taken the year before with the physics, general chemistry and biology. Yeah. And that I did not get an A in organic chemistry. Organic chemistry was the bane of my existence. That was a very difficult class for me. <laughs> I think it's just a weed out class. I don't, maybe maybe you actually have used it in your lifetime, but I was just like, I just wanted to make sure we could focus and study hard for something. <laughs> yeah, I look back and I'm like, why did I go through this? <laughs> this is really not helping me. <laughs> so what what was the transition? You said heart now you're just focusing more on uh, liver and bowels and something else you had said. Liver, kidney, pancreas. We do small bowel transplants where I'm training. And, you know, I wanted to get this comprehensive training just because, you know, in transplant surgery, it's such a young field and there's so much to learn and there's so much going on and everything is so intricate and complicated. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get the experience of training in everything abdominal transplant. It's not very many programs that do, you know, like multivisceral transplants and oh. small bowel transplants and things like that. So it was a choice. Like you could have just focused on livers all day long, every I day. I've just focused on livers and kidneys and just done kidney and liver transplants. But I wanted to be able to get that comprehensive training. I mean, one of the things I really wanted to do kidney transplants so that I can go back to Zimbabwe and do kidney transplants because that's something that we can do like especially living donor kidney transplants. Um, liver transplants, not so much. We don't have the infrastructure to okay. be able to do liver transplants in Zimbabwe. I mean, I am, I, I'm a dreamer, and I hope one day we'll be able to do it. You have a building but... named after you. <laughs> <laughs> Matimavi liver transplant. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with kidney transplants, it just really, it really bothers me that my people have to go to other countries like South Africa, India, China to get their liver trans I mean their kidney transplants, whereas they could just get kidney transplants at home. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I really wanted to focus on kidney transplants, but then you know it's like liver transplant is like the ultimate abdominal surgery. It's like 
there's nothing like it. It is pretty awesome. And so it's one of those things where if you're going to do kidney transplants, you're going to train in liver transplants, you're going to train in everything else transplant, then yeah, the better for it. Yeah. I mean, they're so intertwined anyway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it just enough? Isn't it just like you just clip a couple of arteries and veins and then just like reconnect them and then just pop it out? Pop it. I mean, what's so difficult about that? I mean, why do these surgeries take so long? <laughs> That's pretty much what you do. <laughs> It's like reattaching a finger. You attach everything. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how how many years of fellowship is this? So fellowship is only two years. That kind of surprises me. Uh, yeah, well, but then you're already trained as a general surgeon when you come into fellowship. That's true. So now you're specializing. Mm. So it's that's pretty much all you do. Your focus is on your specialty. Which what I really love about transplant is that you are the ultimate general surgeon. You have to love general surgery to be able to do transplant because then if you can do transplant, you can do anything in the abdomen. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Do you, so you're having to do the general surgery. Mm-hmm. You're figuring out all of the, the, the piping and all these different things. You got to be involved with what, nine to 15 hour surgeries? Does it take that long? So for our liver transplants, it, does, it doesn't take that long. I'd say anywhere from... It depends, you know, with how difficult the case is, what the patient's history is, what the body happiness is, things like that will kind of determine how long the surgery is going to be. If the patient has had multiple surgeries before and they have adhesions all over, everything is stuck, that's going to take much longer than somebody who's never had any abdominal surgeries. So for our liver transplants, I'd say um, the shortest I've been in a liver transplant, you know, with my seasoned attendings who've been doing this for years is probably three hours and longest would probably be maybe about 10 hours sometimes takes a little bit longer just depending on what the situation is now most of your patients are they gonna be like in pretty bad health at this point whether it's from alcoholism smoking just cancer maybe yeah so a lot of times our liver transplant patients are very sick and it can be either from alcoholic liver disease from metabolic diseases that cause you to go into liver failure from um, one of the main things that's now causing uh, liver failure is non-alcoholic liver disease, which is from obesity, Mm. basically. And basically what we call fatty liver. Then we have things like, like metabolic syndromes, like I mentioned before, like alpha trypsin antibody deficiency or things like that. And then you have hepatitis C causing cirrhosis or anything that can cause cirrhosis um, that can cause you to go into liver failure. So lots of different things, not just because I know a lot of people assume that liver transplant is just for alcoholic liver disease, but there's a lot of other things that cause liver failure. And then our kidney transplant patients are actually sicker than they appear because a lot of times they've been on dialysis for a long time and just the matter of them being on dialysis makes them sick. Yeah. Do you find that the the fatty liver stuff, mostly just obese people, or can you be kind of thin, high metabolism, you're still eating French fries and fried everything, and you can, they, they can still get fatty liver too, right? Yeah. I mean... It's, it's easy to check yeah. though, right? You can just do an ultrasound and find out if ultrasound you have fatty Ultrasound and, you know, triglycerides and cholesterol right. checks and things like that. So if you can get that under control, the liver can heal itself and stop being fatty if you catch it early? Absolutely. Okay. Doing some PSAs right here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> Should everyone be an organ donor? Are we surprised? Yes. I just think, okay, this is my thoughts. You know, you have to register to vote. You've got to do all these different things. It should just be mandatory. Unless you have some kind of religious reason or you click the no box. And even then. <laughs> yeah. It should just be default. You're dead. We're taking your organs. And if everybody does it, you don't have to be scared that the doctor's like, I wasn't quite dead yet. They gave up because I had healthy organs and I was just hit by a car. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> hey. No, it doesn't work like that at all. Yeah. And that's the thing because, you know, people always ask me, so what if they don't give me the care that I need so that they can donate organs? Nobody <laughs> even checks that you're an organ donor when you come into the hospital after an accident. This happens after you have been deemed to be brain dead or you've been deemed to not be able to recover from your injuries. Mm. So, you know, it's not like, you know, we are walking around looking for people with healthy organs that just got, you know, scraped by a car or just fell down a couple of stairs or things like that. No. Yeah, my goodness. So, but, but I do think everybody should be an organ donor because at the end of the day, when you die, you are going to the grave with perfectly good organs that could save somebody else's life. Would there be enough surgeons if people, if like one state said, hey, that's the new rule, would there be enough surgeons to do all the transplants necessary that all these people would suddenly be able to have? Yeah, because not everybody who is an organ donor is, is going to be able to donate organs mm -hmm. because they are things that will preclude, preclude other people from donating organs. Uh, for instance, if somebody has a certain type of cancer, then they may not be able to donate an organ. You know, I don't want like your that. organ. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want that risk. Like I just don't want that opportunity. Like oh, there were some cells left. <laughs> exactly, and that's how it is. You know. So even though everybody should be an organ donor, there there are tests that are done to be able to determine if someone is suitable enough to donate their organs. How soon after someone passes that are you able to still harvest the organs? So um, there are two different types, well, three different types of ways that people donate organs. First is living donor, like where you can donate part of your liver or you can donate one of your kidneys or things like that. That's so that's true. like one. And then the second is a deceased donor uh, where you are brain dead. So with brain dead donors, you know, their operation is basically like a regular surgery that you do because they are brain dead. Uh, they've been deemed to be brain dead by different methods. Not right. just one person comes and sees them and says they're brain dead. They've been deemed brain dead by different methods. And so their surgery is basically like any other surgery that you would do when you're harvesting the organs. And then there is the third, which is uh, donation after cardiac death, which in this instance, uh, the patient is not is, has been deemed not able to survive their injuries or not able to survive their disease process. And the family is approached because the patient is an organ donor or because whatever circumstances are there. The family is approached and they decide that they want the patient's life support to be withdrawn. Wow. So in that instance, they are still alive. So life support will be withdrawn. And as soon as they die, then the organs can be harvested. But if they don't die, then Stay they have to die certain amount of time okay to be able to donate organs in that in that instance now i noticed the I words you chose were very deliberate and specific <laughs> dare i say rehearsed was that something that <laughs> you had to take classes or just a lot of rehearsing to talk to, to patients and families about like 
how to say it correctly and respectfully and all that? No, it's just something that I feel like, you know, any one word can make it very, can put off people to organ donation. And I feel like it's very important to to be deliberate about the words that you say. Because I don't talk to to the organ donor families. Oh. It's a completely separate department okay. that takes care of all that. So, you know, I would not be the one to approach them and say, well, well you know, your loved one is sick and they're dying. Can we get their organs? You know, things like that. No. Okay. So, I mean, it just it just will be too much conflict of interest. Yeah. <laughs> Gloved up. You know, we're ready. <laughs> That's messed up, Justin. Okay. Yeah. Let's, so. let's take a little serious and, and answer to however you want to answer it. The reality is you'll do a surgery six mm-hmm. months, a year, maybe in a week. They reject the organ. It doesn't take. Reality probably is some people don't make it off the table. How do you... How do you deal with that? And was that something you had to deal with like early on back in like residency with this general surgery? Do they teach you how to handle that and ways to like cope and all that? It's very difficult. And I feel like it's every physician has a certain way of dealing with, you know, death and loss in their own way. But it's something that I don't feel you really get taught. It's something that just comes with experience. It's just like speaking to families after a death of a loved one. That's something that comes with experience by watching seasoned physicians doing it before you. And then when it's your turn to break the bad news and talk to family about it, it just kind of comes together because you've seen it done so many other times. But we all grieve in different ways. And if you you just have to find a way to grieve, but be able to move on and take care of your other patients that need you. Because, you know, sometimes you lose a patient and right away you have another patient that needs you to operate on them or that needs you to be clear minded and to be able to take care of them because they are deteriorating or they're getting sicker and they need you to have a clear mind to be able to take care of them. So it's it's one of those things that's very difficult that I wish there was a class that teaches you how to do it, but I no, it's not possible. So you just kind of deal with it your own way. For me, I think it's my faith in God really just takes, really helps in this situation because I trust God and I feel like my my work is my life purpose and my calling and it's what I'm supposed to do with this life. And so I don't take it as my own personal failure or my own personal success mm-hmm. when a patient does well. I feel like I'm just doing God's work. So it's very difficult, but I find strength in God in difficult times like that. Great answer. Uh, another kind of serious question in a sense. There's a probably a machoism, I'm guessing, in this field. And you're a woman, minority, it's pretty rare. There m- might be a handful of you guys, or gals, I should say, in the nation that probably do this. Do you ever get any like stereotypes or you can't do this or is people been pretty helpful in that situation where they're like, yeah, you can do it. You made it. What are you experiencing? So in my fellowship, I'm just very lucky that I have amazing attendings that I work with who are teaching me this craft. And it's one of those things where, you know, as a black female surgeon, I feel like anywhere you go, you will experience, I guess, people who just don't think you are the surgeon. So it's very common practice because, you know, we go to different hospitals and do organ donation surgeries. And so 
in that instance, they don't know me there. Whereas at my hospital, everybody knows me. So it's like, okay, I'm the, surgical, I'm the transplant surgery fellow. You go to another hospital where people don't know you. And, you know, most of the time I have a medical student or I have a resident who happens to be male or white. And so they direct all their questions to that person. Oof. And then they had, you know, and that person has to direct them to me and say, okay, she is the one in charge. So it's something that I actually encounter very often. Is it kind of like, do you have to like change your mindset with it or like, oh, this will be fun to embarrass this person once they realize who it is? No, actually, I, I, it's kind of uncomfortable for yeah. them when they realize. And so I do not want it to be uncomfortable because these are people I'm going to be working with now <laughs> and I don't want to embarrass them. It's just, I feel like it's, uh, it's one of those things that people don't realize. And it's just, they just do. They don't realize it. I don't know if I, maybe, if I was in that situation, if I would behave the same way. Maybe, right. I don't know. Because, you know, when you don't see people, you know, like females who are surgeons often, right. maybe in hospital, you may not even have one. So it's not something that you just assume, you know? Yeah. So I mean, it's hard to say like, when the, your class is probably like 95% white people to begin with. You're like, oh, yeah, that's true. But you probably have a name tag or something, right? Well, I have a name tag, but sometimes it's on my scrubs or whatever. And, you know, people might not even look at it. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like as you cannot take things like that personally. It's an opportunity to educate and for people to realize that girls can be surgeons too, you know, type thing. Yeah. <laughs> like girls can be engineers too, you know? <laughs> so... So it's one of those things where I actually in, I have to say, even throughout all my residency training, I never felt discriminated against because I was black. Awesome. I was the only black resident, categorical resident in my residency program the whole time I was there. But I never felt like I was discriminated against because I was black. There were moments where I felt discriminated against because I'm a girl, uh -huh. but not because I was black. Okay. You know, which yeah. I guess it's a double whammy. <laughs> Well, that's got to be pretty cool. <laughs> it's such a rare thing these days. I, I hope maybe in the next five to 10 years, we could have an entire podcast of just people like yourself. Where it's like, yeah, yeah. there's just so many. It's not even a I thing actually, anymore. I actually had a Black Women in Medicine's blog series. It's just I don't have time now to work on it. But I actually really enjoyed working on it because it introduced me to I just reached out to all these women who were black and in medicine, and I wanted to hear what their perspectives were and how they dealt with discrimination and things like that. And I thought it was helpful and would be helpful for college students who are minorities and are, you know, trying to get there and to see that, you know, these are all little things that can be overcome. Don't let that be something that stops you from pursuing your dream because challenges like that will always be there. For me, it's, that for other people, it's other things. You will always have challenges. It's just how you deal with them. So, Well, that's huge because that's an important thing. Like I can interview you and then you can interview, quote, each other. And yeah. you're going to have a different experience and you'll be able to relate a lot better. Leave, Absolutely. More free to speak your mind and have it like, ah, yep, I had that times two. And uh, so exactly. that's, a, that's a really good thing. Exactly. But where, where do you see yourself? You're talking about potentially going back to Zimbabwe or maybe that's a permanent goal, doing kidney and liver stuff. Um, when do you see that happening? 
So I'd like to go back to Zimbabwe at some point. Right now, I have a lot of student loans that I need to pay off. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I need to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, don't get, I still don't get paid much as a fellow. Right. So once, once I am more settled in my career, I would like to go back to Zimbabwe. At least work in Zimbabwe part-time. Yeah, I was say, could you do that for like a month? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would like to work, you know, like maybe have something with the University of Zimbabwe and work with their with that with their medical school and just work with, you know, their transplant department and build it up. That's, That's awesome. something I'd like to do on top of mission work. Mission work is one of my priorities. When I'm done, I'll have more time to do more mission work. So, I'm looking forward to that. I just like I know nothing about like what you're talking about, but I just thinking it shouldn't be this difficult. I mean, it's probably it's probably hugely difficult to do this, but to say, hey, I know what I'm doing. Let's get it set up. I can come here for like three or four weeks. We can knock out yeah. hundred different kidney surgeries or something in a month, and and then you can have other people take your place and just have people rotating in there. I don't want to call it like a mission, but it becomes the new. Hey, docs, if you're looking to give back, you can go to Zimbabwe and do these surgeries potentially for free or discounted rates or something like that. So I'm interested in seeing how it works because I know I know my professors, my attendings that I work with now that are training me would be willing to go to Zimbabwe and help me start up a program or build a program that's already, you know, sort of started. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, like programs like the University of Michigan is doing something similar in Ethiopia where they have built a kidney transplant program there, where they go and they do kidney transplants and they teach the surgeons there how to do kidney transplants. So it's something that I would be interested in seeing, probably even visiting one of the Ethiopia hospitals and seeing how they do things so we can do something similar. Man, that's awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, that's how these things start, I think, you know? Yeah, I you think just, so. You got to have a connection. They don't just one day go show up and say, hey, let's build a village in Guana. Exactly. Like, no, why did you pick Guana and this city and in this location and everything? There's a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Do you take vacation? You don't take no vacation. You're in fellowship. Yeah, it I is do just take grinding. Vacation. I was actually right just on vacation. What? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, we get we get vacation time where you get a week off or whatever to rejuvenate. It's very important to do but yeah we are actually we are required to take some time off that's good what's your yeah. go-to are you a beach going to the mountains i'm more of a beach girl <laughs> <laughs> i can sit on the beach for five days and do nothing well read wow. a good but yeah so nebraska i don't think uh that's an option huh no i don't know we have a lake but it's not even like a lake like lake michigan but it's okay <laughs> <laughs> passes in a crunch Man, Nebraska, I just don't know anything about that place. That's one of those those flybys. I mean, I've been to Oklahoma, I've been to a few places, but Nebraska, yeah. I, I don't even know. Mm-mm. Omaha is actually pretty nice. I like the area. I think because it's, you know, it's Midwest, it reminds me of where I grew up in Michigan. So I, I actually really like it. But I had never been to Omaha until I came for fellowship. Oh, speaking of... Do you where do you where do you want to work? Are you looking at uh, big cities, staying in Omaha, or what's the plan? So I really I'm not geographically limited. I'd prefer someplace warm. Okay, like Louisiana <laughs> like warm. Warmer, yeah, 
like California warm, okay, like California. Texas warm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I really am not restricted geographically. I I could work anywhere. That's perfect. Anywhere where it's it aligns with my beliefs and my goals would be perfect. Do you when you apply? Are there going to be hospitals that are already set up and they're the ones that hire, or do uh-huh. they have? Are there, are there jobs available in like hospitals that are wanting to do this and you would be the first one? No. So just because I'm coming out of, fel- I'm just coming out of fellowship. I don't have the experience to be able to start a program. It's, it will be based on hospitals that are already established because I want to do academic surgery. So I want to work in a hospital setting where I can teach and do research and things like that rather than okay. private practice. So Houston could be a real opportunity then. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> they got a lot of hospitals down there. I don't know about cancer for sure. I don't know if they're transplant known, but. They, they do have transplant. I mean, my daughter the other day was just talking to me. And she was like, mom, do you know what the Mecca of um, Zimbabwe is? Where the most Zimbabweans in America are? And I told, and I, I knew what it was. Well, I wasn't really sure, but I kind of knew it. And I was like Dallas. And she's like. All right. I'm back. Yo. Are you back? Yep. Okay. What was the answer? Was it Dallas? Dallas. Man, the punchline got <laughs> lost in the static of, of Skype. So Dallas was the Mecca of Zimbabweans. That's what she says. <laughs> mm. Look at her embracing, saying, hey, that's what I am. That's who I am. Let's go get the culture. Yep. Like Dallas, Texas, it is. That's where all the Zimbabweans are. Hey, is there going to be Zimbabwe food there then? Like restaurants? I, will, I, will, I hope so. Yeah, I have never I mean, actually seen a Zimbabwean restaurant. Like, you know, when I was in New York, I always used to go to Ethiopian restaurants or South African restaurants, but I'd never seen like a Zimbabwean restaurant. Yeah, so that that's I've nice. had Ethiopian once in Denver, and that was that yeah. was it. That was an interesting, that was a unique experience. Did you eat with your hands? Yeah, the whole big piece of bread, and then they just yep. dump like the curry stuff on the bread, and then you just peel it. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. I was I was surprised. It was uh, it was I good. I love Ethiopian food. The smell was strong. You got to get in. You get in there. You're like, oh, oh yeah. You got to love I'm not in Tex-Mex anymore. <laughs> All right. Last couple of questions. Okay. Home life balance, keeping your spouse happy, keeping your kids happy. Any, any hints for us? So it's really hard. I cannot say that I actually have balance because, you know, when I'm home and I'm, let's say I'm on a break and I have a week off, that's all I do is pretty much home life. But during when I'm working, you know, I have a lot of reading to do still and a lot of paper writing and things like that. So, but my family is very, very, very understanding. I have like the best spouse in the world. He basically just takes care of me and he's okay with my crazy hour schedules and he's okay with me studying and doing all sorts of things. He's, he doesn't need to have me around basically. They are very independent <laughs> they cook they eat they do whatever and they'll ask me once in a while wow, what i want you know but other than that they they do their own thing so i'm very lucky in that aspect so they let me just be me because it, awesome. it can be difficult when you're working a lot and you sometimes don't come home because you're working 48 hours straight and things like that but when you have a supportive spouse and kids who understand it's it's like heaven yeah. One more year, yeah. you'll be free and clear. <laughs> a little more balance. A little more balance. You got this. All right. Favorite? This is the last question. Favorite books, blog, phone apps, things that you love that you think other people should definitely check out? So favorite books. I read quite a lot. And 
like the one of my all-time favorite books is it's sort of medical but it's cutting for stone yeah so cutting for stone is one of my favorite books i think it's like a very well-written book recently i read a book by a australian author who's a female transplant surgeon and it's called how to do a liver transplant it's actually a really good book it goes about i think she has she and her husband have four or five kids and it just talks about how she's managed to balance being a surgeon and mom and wife and her she trained at university of colorado for a transplant fellowship before going back to australia and just basically how she got interested in transplant surgery and things like that. So I, I thought that was a really good book. And uh, favorite apps, I do like Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw you had a new haircut. It looks great, by the way. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much the only app I use. I'm rarely on Facebook, and right now I'm not even on Facebook. And I think that's pretty much that. Any medical apps? I don't think I've ever asked that question. Any kind of medical apps that you're like, yeah, I go to this sometimes? Well, on my phone, I have the Journal of Transplant, I, of the American Journal of Transplantation. And so that's the one that I go to like every day. I look to see what articles they have or what good papers they have. And I read from there. But other than that, no, I don't have any apps on my phone. Other than, you know, like the medical, our electronic medical record that you can have the app on the phone i have that on my on my phone because then i can look at lab results and vitals and things like that on the go yeah but other than that yeah no i'm very i'm not very techie <laughs> <laughs> like you have time to be techie it sounds like too <laughs> all right well how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to my email is dr matamavi D-R-M-A-T-E-M-A-V-I at gmail.com. So whatever questions you have for anyone who's pre-med, for anybody interested in healthcare, for anybody who just is interested in following their dream and they think it's not possible, you can email me there. And I am on Instagram as drpraise0624. And you can reach me there too. Fantastic. Thank and you I'm so much Twitter for your time. Too. Oh, you're on Twitter too? I am on Twitter. What do you, what's your, what's your handle? I believe it's Dr. Matamavi. There we go. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. It was great. Thank you for having me. I really want to take a second and say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you haven't left a review on your favorite listening app, please go ahead and do that. One thing I've realized, I've been putting out a lot of links all over Instagram, Facebook, this podcast itself. And if you ever change the link, or shut a website down, all those links are now gone and dead. So I just want you to know, if you're listening to some of these episodes, and I mentioned a link and it's gone, just head on over to a doctorsperspective.net, and you're probably going to find that thing you're looking for on the top menu. Search around, and I'm sure you'll find it. All the books you can find there, acupuncture book with no needles, the free chapters you can download, the 360-degree health, from exercises, stretches, financial health, what is chiropractic, and the free chapters are there. T-shirts, resources, and we even have a financial support site now. It's just a doctorsperspective.net slash support. There's one-time support. There's monthly support. Go ahead over there and check it out. Something that I'm offering right now with the needless acupuncture, if you buy the book, you also get the electric acupuncture pin for free as a bonus. And that electric acupuncture pin helps you not only stimulate the points stronger, 
that helps you locate the points as well. So that's a huge plus. And then with the uh, Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health book, I'm offering a bonus of a uh, one-hour, one-on-one uh, coaching session to go along with the purchase of that book. Actually, there's three different bonus packages if you head to a doctorsperspective.net slash no needles. It's getting close to the end of the year. Are y'all ready for the 2018 top 10? I mean, it's too early right now, but it's going to be here before you know it. That will be available for download later on, just like the 2017 is now. You just heard a great guest implement one thing, make your practice and personal life as best as it can be. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. I hope you will listen and integrate what some of these guests have said. By all means, please share across your social media, write a review, and if you go to the show notes page, you can find all the references for today's guest. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective. <laughs>